to verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit, you would give us deep, deep insight into your word tonight. Show us the wonders of your word, the wisdom, the planning, the grace. That was always a part of this incredible plan that you had for us. Give us insight. Teach us marvelous things tonight. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul the Apostle was the champion of the gospel of grace. He was the champion of the idea that people are saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. People are not saved through a law or through good works. Wherever Paul went, he preached Christ crucified. Christ was sent from heaven. The Son of God became man, took our sins upon himself, went to the cross, died in our place, rose again the third day. And you are only saved through faith in Christ Jesus. When you place your faith in Christ Jesus, You're saved, you're justified, you're declared righteous. And by the way, you're also transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was Paul's message. He was the champion of the message. Well, early on in church history, there were these false teachers known as the Judaizers who basically said, Paul, you're off your rocker. Salvation is not... By faith alone. You have to keep the law of Moses as defined in the Old Testament in order to be saved. So to all the Jews who got saved through faith in Christ Jesus, they would say it's not enough. You got to remain under your Jewish law. To the Gentiles that got saved through faith in Christ Jesus, these folks would say it's not enough. You need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to come under the Old Testament law. You have to keep the law to be saved. Paul said, no, it's only through faith in Christ that you're saved. So imagine this scenario, and it's easy to do. The Judaizers come to Paul the Apostle and they say, if what you are saying is true... Prove it from the scripture. Prove salvation through faith alone from the scripture. Now, at that time, what was the scripture? The only scripture. The Old Testament. There was no New Testament. The New Testament was being produced. In fact, the book of Galatians is one of the second earliest letters that would eventually go in to the New Testament. So the Judaizers would say to Paul, teach your doctrine, prove it through the support of the Old Testament. You say that no one can be saved by keeping a law. Teach that from the Old Testament law. Now that's quite a challenge. And I would like to turn that challenge over to you tonight. Could you teach salvation through faith alone from the Old Testament? Could you prove it? Or let me put it this way. Let's say you have a Jewish friend who rejects all New Testament uh, revelation. Could you take your Jewish friend to the Old Testament scriptures and prove salvation through faith alone. 
is there support in the Old Testament for salvation through faith alone? And if so, would you know how to share it? There better be support in the Old Testament. It's an important doctrine. There better be a connection there between the New Testament and the Old Testament somewhere. Well, there is support in the Old Testament. And Paul is going to teach from the Old Testament the doctrine of salvation through faith alone. And salvation not by the works of the law. And he's going to do it in several ways over these next two chapters here in Galatians. We're going to go over all the different ways. Tonight we're just going to look at two. Two ways that Paul proves salvation through faith alone from the Old Testament. So... Look at the first one that we're going to look at tonight. Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by what? Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul took them to one of the most famous men of God who has ever lived, ever walked the earth. Abraham. Paul took them to the father of the faith. Abraham. And this is an absolute brilliant stroke of genius that Paul will use to prove salvation through faith. I want you to think about Abraham for a moment and from his standpoint, his timeline. Genesis shows up, or Abraham shows up, 12 chapters into the Bible. Genesis chapter 12. In the first 12 chapters of the Bible, that's when Abraham shows up. Notice... That Abraham lived some 430 years before Moses. Now the Judaizers, they loved Moses. Why? Because Moses was the law giver. Abraham lived 430 years before Moses. Abraham lived 430 years before the law of Moses. Before Mount Sinai. Before the Ten Commandments. Now the Judaizers, they said, man, the law of Moses, that is, that is big time. You've got to keep the law. Abraham lived 430 years before there was a law. And then think of it this way. When Abraham comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 12, there is no family of Israel. There's no Jew. Now, it's true that Abraham will become the father of the Jews. But please understand, when Abraham comes on the scene, he is essentially an uncircumcised, non-law-keeping Gentile. All right? How did he get saved? Well, look what it says there in verse 6. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. How was Abraham declared righteous? By faith. 
Abraham was saved through faith. Abraham was justified, declared righteous by God through faith. And please know in verse 6 here, Paul is quoting from Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 clearly states, this guy Abraham was saved through faith. Justified. Declared righteous through faith. Now you might wonder, what was going on there in in Genesis chapter 15? Well, you remember the story of Abraham. Abraham was basically a pagan, and he was living in Ur of the Chaldeans. God, out of total grace, called Abraham. Said, I want you to leave your place. I want you to go to a land where I'm going to show you. And God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. And in you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. And as you track how these promises to Abraham go, all of these promises will be fulfilled in a future seed, a son that will come from the family line of Abraham. So in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is living in the promised land. He's been there for several years, many, many years. He's old. His wife, Sarah, is old. In fact, they're so old they can't have children. They're barren. They're beyond the age of being able to have children. So God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 and says, Abraham, hey man, I'm your strength and I'm your shield. And Abraham says, I don't even have a son. You promised to be this, I was going to be this great nation. I don't have a son. All I have in my house is a servant named Eliezer. He's not my son, but he could be my son. Maybe you're going to fulfill the promise through Eliezer. And God says, no, I'm going to give a son from your body, you and Sarah. And then he said to Abraham, I want you to come outside your tent. It was night. He said, Abraham, look up into the stars. Look up into the sky. Count the stars, if you could count the stars, right? So shall your descendants be. Abraham, your descendants are going to be as many as the stars in the sky. That's what God promised him. And there Abraham was there with no child at all. Abraham believed God. And as it says here in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3, quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, he was justified. He was declared righteous by faith. Abraham declared righteous by faith. Abraham was not declared righteous because he was righteous. He was a sinful man just like anyone else. Abraham was not declared righteous because he kept the law. The law wouldn't even come for 430 years. Abraham was not declared righteous because he was circumcised. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham was uncircumcised. He doesn't get circumcised till Genesis chapter 17, several years later in his life. He was justified through faith alone. Now, I want you to see, in this passage, Paul is taking the example of Abraham to this amazing place. In this passage, Paul is teaching Abraham is the prototype of how Everyone gets saved. Everyone 
who gets saved truly gets saved in the exact same way that Abraham was saved, which is through faith. So look what he says in verse 7. Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The true sons of Abraham, those that are truly saved, are the ones that got saved the way Abraham got saved. Those who are of faith. Those are the true sons of Abraham. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Abraham was blessed because he was believing. How was he blessed? He was saint. He was justified by faith. Everyone who has faith like Abraham also enters into the blessing of Abraham, which is justification through faith alone. This is an amazing thing that's being said. Abraham is the prototype for all of history as to how somebody gets saved through faith. Now, it's really interesting. Paul mentions the sons of Abraham. As you know, Abraham would have actual sons eventually. The son of promise, the miraculous son, Isaac, born to Sarah in their old age. Abraham would have a physical family. He would have physical sons. And, you know, in the, in the days when Paul was around and the, the Judaizers and the Jewish people, and Paul, even before he got saved, before he became a Christian, they all thought they were saved because they were physical descendants. They all thought they were saved because they were born into the Jewish religion. Hey, I can trace my physical lineage all the way back to Abraham. And by the way, I got circumcised like Abraham eventually got circumcised. I was born in to the family of God. I was saved by birth. Is that true? Absolutely not. By the way, there are some people today who think just because they're born into a Christian family, just because they're born into a church-going family, that that makes them saved. Is that true? So Paul really, really turns everything on their head when he says, no, the true sons of Abraham are those who have been saved through faith. Paul said that the most important link to Abraham was not the link of genetics or of works, but of faith. It is not those who seek merit through the law who inherit the promise made to Abraham, but those of every nation who repeat his act of faith in God. It's incredible. So, my brother and sister in Christ, you're Jewish. You're Jewish. Not physically, although some of you might be. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are related all the way back to Abraham. You're like a spiritual Jew. You are a true son or daughter of Abraham. Okay, now I want to be really careful here. I want you to understand something. The physical family of Abraham is important. The Jewish people are important. God picked them by grace. God picked Abraham by grace, decided I'm going to work through Abraham's family and the Jewish people. And God has used 
the nation of Israel, the family of Israel in incredible ways. It is because of the Jewish people that we have the entire Bible. Did you know that? All the prophets, all the truth. And it was by God's plan that Jesus would be born of the Jews. So the people of Israel, the nation of Israel is absolutely important. There are some that teach the church has replaced Israel. You know, because it says we're the true sons of God now. We're the true sons of Abraham now. And so from that, there's a lot of people who would teach the church has completely replaced Israel. That is not true. That is not true. God is not through with Israel. Yes, we're in the church age. Yes, the state of Israel has kind of been shelved during the church age. But God will return to the nation of Israel and use them in incredible ways. In fact, in the last days, there's going to be a revival. Israel will come to faith. In the Messiah. So it's interesting. If you look through the whole life of Abraham, there are several times that God makes this promise to Abraham about his descendants. Sometimes he says, Your descendants, Abraham, are going to be like the grains of sand on all the seashores. And a lot of Bible scholars believe when he's using that imagery, he's speaking about the physical sons, the Jews. Then other times, like in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham says, your sons, your descendants will be like the stars in heaven. And many people think when when he's using that analogy, he's speaking about the spiritual sons, those who are saved by faith. And by the way, in the last days, Israel will join that company. The grains of sand will become stars. Because everyone who's truly saved is saved through faith, just like Abraham was. Now, look at verse 8. It says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. Now this is going back, again, this is right at Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham, Get out of your country, follow me, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How would all of the nations on planet earth, all the family lines on planet earth, be blessed in Abraham? Well, we certainly know that from the family of Abraham will come Jesus. But the way Paul interprets it is that is speaking of that time when all the nations will be able to be saved in the same way that Abraham was saved through faith. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. In fact, Paul said... The gospel of grace, salvation through faith, was preached to Abraham when it was promised to him that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. How blessed? Through faith alone. Through law? Through faith. So, this is an absolutely astounding thing. I will tell you, if you have a Jewish friend who does not receive the New Testament scriptures and you wanted to prove salvation through faith to him or her, take them right to Abraham. Take them right to Genesis chapter 15. And and the scope is staggering. What, what, this, what this truth is saying is that everyone in all of history, Old Testament, New Testament, 
everyone who is truly saved is saved in the exact same way that Abraham was saved. Through faith alone. You Judaizers, you come along and you say that people get saved by keeping a law? The plan of the ages. God's plan from beginning. People will get saved through faith. And Abraham's the example. Okay. Paul is going to continue to preach or defend or support his doctrine of salvation through faith alone and not salvation by the works of the law. He's going to quote from a few more Old Testament passages. We're going to look at those very quickly. Look at verse 10. For as many are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, I'm going to put that verse up here on the screen. This is what the verse says. As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it's written... Now, Paul is going to quote from the law. What's written? Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Now, that is what the law says about itself. The law of Moses. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. I want to stress a couple words in that. All and do. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, those are pretty stringent requirements. If you're going to live under a law-keeping system in order to get saved, you have to do the law. For God to approve you on the basis of the law, first you have to do it. Listen, not simply know it, not simply love it, not simply teach it, not simply want it, not simply memorize it. You have to do it. You have to do it. And you have to do all of it. All of it. Not some of it. Not more good than bad. Not just the Ten Commandments. The 600-some commandments that you find in the Law of Moses, in the first five books of the Bible called the Torah. You got to do them all. And look what else the standard is. You got to continue. You got to continue in all things to do it. In other words, you can't just do it for one day. You know, you had a really good day. You can't do it just for one week, one month, one year. You have to do it all continuously for an entire lifetime from the moment of birth till the day you die. That's the standards of the law. Now, what does it say there? If you don't do that, what are you? You're cursed. Cursed is everyone. Now when it says you're cursed, it means you are a cursed of God. 
You're under the curse of God. You're under divine wrath. So what's Paul's commentary on that? What does he say? He says, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. In other words, gang, listen, if you want to rely on works of the law for your salvation. (laughs) If you want a works-oriented approach to salvation, you're under the curse. Why? Can anybody keep the law? Could you keep the whole law, all of it, leaving nothing out perfectly? No, you couldn't. Paul says the law itself presents a standard that is impossible for a human being to satisfy. If you want to live under the law, you're under the curse. The law cannot save you. The law can only reveal how imperfect you are. The law will only prove to you that you can't make it. And by the way, don't forget, when God gave Moses the law, he built into it the atoning sacrifices, the animal sacrifices at the temple, correct? Why? Because he knew nobody could keep the law. So he built in the means by which those who would fail the law could be atoned for. And all of that throughout the law system, God is teaching, you can't keep the law by yourself And you need to have an innocent victim substituted in your behalf to pay your price. Time and time again. That's what he taught Israel time and time again. So. You want to try to keep the law. This is your standard. By the way, we're talking a lot about the law of Moses. This would include any moral code. Any moral code. Any religion. Every, there are a bunch of religions out there that have their hoops, their code, their ethic, whatever you have to do to follow to please that God. Every law reveals the fact that you're a lawbreaker because you could never keep every law perfect. In fact, maybe you don't have any religious law, but you got a moral code, man. There are some rights and wrongs in your life. There are things that you truly believe, and you're going to do your best to keep. Do you keep those right all the time? Would you say, I don't believe in lying. You've got to tell the truth. So you've told the truth your whole life. Never told a lie? Your standard of never telling a lie has proven you to be a liar. Everyone who lives under a law system in approach to God is under the curse. It's an incredible thing that Paul is saying. Okay, so are there any other places in the Old Testament, we're speaking just the Old Testament now, where God says that you are saved through faith alone? Now, we've already talked about Genesis 15, verse 6, and the example of Abraham. Is there anywhere else in the Old Testament? Well, look at verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. I'm going to put that up again. The just shall live by faith in quotes. Did you know that Paul is quoting from the Old Testament? He's quoting from this quaint little book in the Old Testament that a lot of people don't even know about. Any of you heard of Habakkuk, the prophet? About three or four chapters. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, the prophet writes, The just shall live 
By what? By faith. And in the Greek order, the just or righteous by faith shall live. In other words, those who have been reckoned righteous by faith, not by works, shall have eternal life. The justified by faith ones shall live. Now that is absolutely straightforward. Paul quotes from that here in Galatians chapter 3. He also quotes from it in Romans chapter 1 verse 17. It is also quoted from in Hebrews 10 38. In fact, you remember the Reformation, Martin Luther? In the, in the revolution, the, the, the Reformation under Martin Luther, that, that, was the, that was the thing. The just shall live by faith. In fact, it was said by legend that Luther, when he discovered that you're saved by faith, the just shall live by faith, that he staggered. He was in a bell tower, and he staggered on the rope that rang the bell, and he just kept ringing the bell, and it was like, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. It rang. And Martin Luther discovered that studying the book of Romans chapter 1 which quoted from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. But understand, the truth that created the Reformation was in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. So another, again, if you, if you were to take a Jewish friend and teach salvation through faith alone, prove it to him from the Old Testament, You take him to Abraham and you take him to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. Look at this next. Yet the law, verse 12, is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. I'm going to put that up. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. He's quoting again from the law, this time from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. There in Leviticus 18, chapter 5, it says, The man who lives, the man who's going to live, will do the law. Now, you take that back to what we just saw in Habakkuk. The justified ones by faith, they're the ones that live. This one says, according to the law, if you're under the law and you want to live, you want life, you want to be saved, you got to do it. The law is all about performance only. It's cold. It's crisp. It's here's what you got to do. Do it. There's no faith in the law. And that's why Paul says the law is not a faith. The law is not a faith. The law is a performance, work-oriented thing. It doesn't depend upon faith. And if it's dependent upon you and your performance, you're not going to live. You're going to die. You're under the curse. The Bible presents two paths to salvation. One says... You can try to be saved by your works, but it won't work. And a majority of people, they go after that. They try to live that way. The other path is you can only be saved through faith alone, and that does work. And you can't mix faith and law. You can't. Remember, the Judaizers were sort of doing that. They were saying, okay, um, put your faith in Christ, but you also have to keep the law. Can't do that. I've even heard some very sincere people say, hey, man, I believe i got to live a good life, and I'm going to try everything. I'm going to try to do the best I can. And, you know, where I fail, ah, faith will pick up. Faith will pick up. Law and faith doesn't mix at all. Your salvation is 100% dependent upon faith. 
0% on human merit, on works. Paul finds all this from the Old Testament law. Isn't it amazing? Okay, question. How in the world does God save us? How did, what did God do to make it possible for us to be saved through faith alone? How is it possible? For us sinners, we can't save ourselves through the law. How is it possible for us to be saved through faith alone? How does God do that? Answer, because of what Christ did. Because of what Christ did. Verse 13. Paul goes on. Christ has redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. Having become a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The only way, the only way, is because of what Christ did on that cross. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeem means to purchase, to buy out. It's more than just rescue. He didn't rescue you. He rescued you at a price. He bought you. He paid a price. How much did you cost? How did he redeem you? He became a curse for you. Jesus Christ stood in our place and took the curse we deserved. That's the message of the gospel. Christ is the perfect son of God, right? He left heaven, he became man. He's perfect. He's innocent. He's the perfect law keeper. He was willing to take upon our sin. Our lawlessness. And he became a curse for us. In other words, he took the divine curse. He took the divine displeasure and judgment for us. Now I got to tell you, Paul puts in a little detail that just absolutely blows you away. In the end of verse 13, he says, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What in the world's going on there? He's quoting from the Old Testament law again. He's quoting from a place in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22, 23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you not defile the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. For he who is hanged is a cursed of God. So in the Old Testament, every criminal sentenced to death under Mosaic legislation and executed usually by stoning was then fixed to a stake, hanged on a tree as a symbol of divine Displeasure, divine rejection. So think about the worst person you can possibly imagine. The worst murderer. The worst example of humanity. They're so terrible that they have to be killed. And you hang their dead corpse on a pole, on a tree. So that everyone can see. And recognize that that person was under divine rejection. 
And then you notice, make sure that body gets down before sundown, right? Buried properly before sundown. What does this sound like? It all points to the crucifixion. Jesus became the curse. He took the sin. He took the very worst of us. The worst. Not only was he killed, he was hung to that tree. In shame before all the people that were walking on. Christ, the Son of God, took the absolute worst of the curse of God upon a sinful person. That's what he did for you. And that's how he redeemed you. So that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you. And that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How are we able to be saved through faith alone? Because we put our faith in Christ. Who redeemed us. And when we do that, what he did at the cross is applied to your life. Now, there's some, I mean, everyone in all of history, Old Testament, New Testament, saved through faith in God, saved through a faith in the promise of God, and they're actually saved because of what Christ would do on the cross. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Old Testament, before the cross. Saints were saved through faith. Looking towards what God was going to do. And they were actually saved when Christ's death that came later was retroactively applied to them. Now we live in the New Testament. We live on this side of the cross. How are we saved? By understanding what Christ did for us and placing our faith and trust in him in our present what he did in the past gets applied to you and you're saved. That is the message of the scripture. The heart of God, the way of God, the way of salvation, planned like that from the beginning. So if you're going to believe that a person is saved through faith alone, I would say to you, You're on really good biblical ground. It's all over the scripture. If you think you can be saved by keeping a religion, by being good enough, by living up to a law, the Bible says you're under a curse. This is the message of Christianity. The gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is our message to a world that desperately needs to be saved. Is this world going to be saved when enough Republicans get elected? Or enough Democrats get elected? Or the right person? No. The only hope for the mankind, the only hope for the human race is to place faith in what Christ did for them at the cross. And that's the message we champion. All right. We'll stop right there. I think all of our brains are short-circuiting just a bit. Now, I will warn you, I mean, to me, this is fascinating. There are going to be absolute... you're going to look and see how Paul proves the same doctrine from different areas in the law. And I think it's a good academic exercise for us as Christians to know this. You've got to know the link between Old Testament and New Testament. 
and how it points. And you got to know what's, what's priority, what's primary. So, Father, I pray that you would continue to help us learn to go deeper into your word. Thank you again that your plan of salvation was from the beginning. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to be saved through faith at a tremendous cost. Lord, it's so amazing to think that you became a curse to us on our behalf. Nailed to a tree. We're so thrilled that you rose again the third day, defeating death, and you're alive. And you're the Savior and the King of Kings. We can be saved by putting our faith in you. If you're here tonight and you've yet to place your faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Right now would be the time to do it. If you're listening online and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, recognizing that it's nothing having to do with any of your effort. Christ has done all the work for you. He saved you. You put your faith in him and he will declare you righteous. He'll save you and he'll transform you. If you haven't done that yet, Right now, you have this opportunity. If that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you, say, Lord Jesus, right now, I come by faith. I put my faith and trust in you for my salvation. I am a sinner. There's no law that I could keep. Thank you for taking my place. For paying the price for my sins. And I invite you right now, Lord, to be my Savior. I place my faith and trust in you and change me. Transform me by faith and by the power of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.